This week's episode is sponsored by PoshPartySupplies.com. We all know that Pesach is right around the corner, and I'm looking forward to having one less thing on my head by having beautiful, disposable tableware and utensils. Posh Party Supplies has a large variety of gorgeous, beautiful styles and even has a line of biodegradable and compostable servingware. So there's one less thing for you to worry about this holiday season, and you can get 25% off your order using code BARRY25. Again, 25% off using code BARRY25. Lose a little bit of the stress this holiday season at poshpartysupplies.com. No one's perfect, even if we secretly believe they are. So if you've been struggling and failing to keep it all together, you're in good company. Women today are pushing harder than ever to do it all and break through their personal limits. But what if we're pushing in the wrong direction? Join a growing movement of women exploring their boundaries as opportunities. Be empowered by their experiences to create a best life that reflects your expectations and no one else's. If you're ready for a different kind of podcast, then you've arrived. Welcome to Women of Valor. So this past Monday night, I attended um, what was called the first ever Jewish Fertility Summit. It was run by a friend of mine, Amy Barron, from I Was Supposed to Have a Baby. And what she did was she collected 13 different Jewish fertility organizations dedicated to aiding singles and couples in their fertility journey. And it reminded me of an incredible interview that I conducted not long ago with Bronnie Rosen. Bronnie Rosen is the founder of A Time. Basically, to my knowledge, the oldest Jewish fertility organization um, that started nearly 30 years ago. Um, Bronnie herself struggled with infertility and thought, why is nobody talking about this? Why is nobody helping? Like she felt so lost and resolved to help those on a fertility journey to not feel the way that she did, to not feel lost and, and not have resources and not feel supported and feel alone. And I am honored to share her journey with you as well as inform you all of the different services that A Time provides. I hope you enjoy this week's episode and share it with anyone that you think would benefit from it. Hi, Bronnie. Thank you so much for joining us. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and one thing that you love about yourself. So, hi. Uh, so, it's, it's really so nice being here. Um, what I love about myself, um, I think that I, I love that I'm not afraid. <laughs> I'm not afraid to like, you know, I, 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 even this podcast, I'm not sure where it will go, but I'm not afraid to have my voice heard. I and that. I love that about myself. But I do think that that's a gift I have for my family. Like it's a gift I have for my father who sadly died this year. But he was not afraid to have his voice heard. Um, I love so, that. Thank you. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. So um, I am a child of Holocaust survivors, which is rare because my, my parents were children. My husband is actually the grand child of a Holocaust survivor, of Holocaust survivor. he's the next generation. Um, so I think I have this like big passion to build. I was going to be, I got married, you know, dreaming of a huge family, of course. Um, you know, babies, I love babies. And then I did not have a baby. It was one year, it was two years. It was quite shocking because I, I never was something that was in my plan. <laughs> 
you know, my life's plan to be going through infertility. But obviously Hashem wanted me to go through this because um, Baruch Hashem, after four and a half years of emptiness, being alone, no one to talk to, no one to guide us, I gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. And I remember lighting my very first candle for him, adding that little candle on Shabbos and crying for everybody else out there that didn't have this tremendous gift and zahus. And then I remember the promise that my husband and I made on our very first trip to the very first doctor that if Hashem helped us, there won't be anything that we won't do that we're capable of doing for anyone on this very difficult journey. And that's why a lot of our literature, you know, I'm here from a time, I started an organization a time, I'll point to you why we're a time. Um, a lot of our literature says you're not alone. That's a very big message that we have, you know, not alone anywhere you are in the world. You don't have to do this alone. I think that your message uh, that you just shared is very in line with the podcast as a whole, because what we do is we try to feature different women uh, with different stories who are opening up about something difficult, um, something that at some point in their journey, they felt that they were the only one. They felt that they were alone and that nobody else was going through it or could understand and and further along in their journey they realized that that wasn't the case so they decided to come on and share that message so not only are you coming on to share a message you're also coming on to share what you did about it and what you right. did about that feeling so the feeling of being alone along with i always think that you know going through fertility is difficult enough you know, or, or whatever, whatever Nisayon someone goes through, you know, a uh, uh, life-threatening illness or whatever it is, being, being alone makes it that much harder. I also felt that my journey, you know, towards success, um, I really didn't want that lost. Like whatever information I gathered, whatever I learned along the journey from take three Advil an hour before a test to um, don't give your mother-in-law that much of your brain space. Um, Self-care. Um, whatever I may have picked up and learned. And my, one of my favorite things that I, that, I, that I learned and I always share, you know, in a time was that really I wasn't, we, when we started our time, we were very, very much pioneers. It's almost 30 years. Uh, but we weren't really the pioneers. Our himahos, our matriarchs were because their journey through infertility is definitely discussed very, very much in the Torah. And Rachli Menu was so outspoken. She said, right. like, very hard. She was very much like, Havali Banim, give me children, and they'll make I feel, I feel dead. And then she even names her son Yosef, which really intrigues me always. And she says, I'm naming you Yosef because Hashem Yosef is her pussy. So, she did not like a lot. Sometimes people ask me, they say, Bronnie, it was four and a half years. I'm a grandmother now, Baruch Hashem. Wow. And I'm still the picture of infertility. I never left that world. And I'm not, and my big thing is that my name is everywhere and I'm not ashamed because Rachel Mani wasn't ashamed. And she also, she said, not ashamed. She, she wasn't ashamed of her infertility. The feeling that I feel that she had, the shame that she felt was 
a shame that I know and that a lot of people know. Right. Failing There's an expectation that the expectation. you, you, you date, you get married. Right. And then you have kids. There's like, there's like a schedule. And like, right. I mean, right. I know that, that many people feel that pain of, of those expectations, you know, like people have, people have come up to me. We, we had a child, you know, two years after we got married. Um, and yet like we were like, oh, we were married, we're married for a year. Da, da, da. And people were like, no, like, so right. what do you mean? So like, hi, that's not your business. But right, then even after having one, the, it was right. like, okay, so knew it's time for another one. I'm like, I mean, it's time for another one. Turns out my children are, are 18 months apart, but still, <laughs> you know, you, I feel like when people ask someone who had a baby after many years, they're like, oh, that's so nice. You had twins. So how'd you have them? I feel like it's a bedroom question. Wow. No one should really, they ask me about my twins if they're those type of babies. I think that no one should be privy to any child's conception story whether it's an infertility journey, whether it's a trip to Cancun, Mexico. I feel like, you know, it's not, it's something very private. Right. I really think, you know, I can't believe that's a question. I never yeah, thought of that when there are multiples. That's such a good point. When there are multiples, it's like, oh, so was it IVF? Right. Like, so we, I know. So it happens to be those trends in my family, but because I have to be an advocate, I'm like, well, I went for help. Like I have to say, because there's nothing wrong with, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with me because Hashem chose me to go through infertility. Um, but it, it definitely is a very humbling experience. I was geo president in elementary and high school. I was a big rah-rah girl. Like, me too. Oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. I was like, Elementary oh and high school. Under my chuppah, I didn't even know what to dab in for. Like, I was like, okay, you know, my friends who still need to shut off, my custom shoes are very beautiful children. For sure, I'm having them. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always think about the chuppah, like when my girls got married, you know, I always tell them how important it is to stand on the chuppah and not even what you can imagine. But I don't, I don't like to cause anxiety with, with the girls. I want them to get married a lot like me. Like, you know, very happy, very excited, very looking forward to building a beautiful family. And then to daven that it should actually happen, but not to terrify them. I don't right. like that. I don't want them. Um, so when we had my son, so then we felt that big, big pressure of A, not losing my journey, like whatever I learned along this journey, right? I right. Also you don't forget. Felt, it's not a, you don't some people don't. choose to forget. But, but people like you, you're like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No way. No how. I still can't get over them. I still can't get over them. We were, we were running an auction recently. I just wrote about my granddaughter. I, I still can't get over that. I'm actually mommy. I, 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 even when I, when I went out with my son, like the first time on the street, I felt like I was cheating almost. Like I can't get over the gifts. That's amazing. It is amazing. It is a tremendous, tremendous gift. A baby is a tremendous gift. And it is also a key that only Hashem holds. Like, just like no one can say, okay, let's make it rain. Maybe on a, on a, on a set they could, but yeah. in the world, they can't. they can't make it rain. So they can never, there's no physician or doctor in the entire universe that can say that someone is pregnant. They can manipulate eggs. They can do conception so beautifully. They can't do conception. They can do everything up until conception. 
And then they finish what they do. And then they say, okay, now go home and wait. And that's when God has to kick it. So I've seen, that's tremendous gift where I've seen how, you know, people, I see it's so clear that Hashem is in control. So you said that, that, that you started this, you know, 30 years ago. So then almost 30 years ago, I think 27, because the year we started and we had the twins. So they're, I think they're 20, almost going to be 20, they're 26. Um, So that was our gift. (laughs) Um, But okay, so we said we have to do something. Now, um, I was very into doing medical referrals. I found that to be a tremendous void for me. Like there was no one to call. I remember telling my husband, we needed, we, we went to a doctor that we got like by chance from somebody and I really do have to give credit to Reb Shleimer, the Baba Vareva, who actually, who we, my husband's a Baba Vachasid, and we had no one to go to, so we went to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe told us to call a couple that had a baby after eight years of infertility, and we should go to their doctor. So when we called the couple, they said, oh, we don't know, we just, uh, we never went through infertility. And the Rebbe, when we called the Rebbe back, we said, maybe we got the wrong number. He said, why can't they just give you the number? And he himself, Reb Schleimer, like, you know, he called us back himself with the phone number. Now, this doctor, we waited three months to see this doctor. And I remember going to the doctor and sitting on the train and discussing whether or not, we knew nothing. No right. one prepared us for the, for the visit. Um, waiting three months is way too long. Um, we ended up going to Columbia Presbyterian. We walk and we say, hi, we're here to see Dr. Fox. And they said, oh, Dr. Fox died yesterday. And saying we waited three months to see Dr. Fox, he can't die on us. It was it was devastating. And then and then um, they said, oh, Dr. Fox is Dr. Fox Jr. Oh, his office is in Riverdale. So we ended up taking a bus and a train to Riverdale. We were so hungry and sad and tired to hear that the doctor that we saw was not the right doctor for us. So coming back on the train, I said, you know, it doesn't make any sense. We were, we were just talking about. It. I said. Klag is also wonderful. There's bigger column for everything. And there was nothing for me, no one to call. So um, my passion was medicine. Um, there was another Suri who really wanted support groups. You know, we wanted to do, we wanted to be the number to call for anyone that's living in fertility, a resource for anyone who's living in fertility for anything. And every program and service that we ever offered came from a need. Like I, I started two new groups now with post-hormonal cancers, um, which is so random. Um, fertility post-hormonal cancers because Baruch Hashem, they learned how to cure some of them. And in the past they would say, absolutely, you can now have a baby after the hormonal cancers, but now they're really letting them do that. So, so we had to form a group for them. So everything we ever did came from a group, but at the very, very beginning, and then Bleamy, the third part, was very into education. So the three of us, <laughs> very driven, we even changed the law in the state of New York with empty strollers. Like now we have this very beautiful, amazing board of directors. And I always think if Lee, me and Surya and me would go to the board of directors and say, okay, can we buy like 200 empty strollers and march in front of the Department of Health to change the law? They would be like, uh, but we did that. We did whatever it took. So wait, 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 I need you to, I need you to tell more of, of that story. Yeah, okay. what what is that? I'll go back. I'll backtrack to the very, very beginning. So we said, okay, so Bleamy liked education. We all had different ideas. Um, we decided we have to name the organization. So I wanted to be the Jewish Fertility Association. 
but they everyone agreed and they were right that um, it would not make it in the Jewish community. It was too open. And so we hid our name and a time from Kohelis, there is a time to be born. So a time became a Torah infertility medium of exchange. Um, and that's who we are. Like, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes people will tell me, Brownie, you know, I have such a good idea for a time. You could use a Pasuk from Kohelis. There is a time. I said, that's where we came from. And we used to write, there is a time. But at the very, very beginning, um, we knew we needed Haskama from Arav. Because people said, well, you know, we all had a baby the year we started at a time. It was like a, a, like a gift. All three of us were helped that year. And people would tell us, you'll never marry them off with the way you are. I'll tell you the empty stroller cat <laughs> um, story. The way you are, you're gonna nev you'll never marry them off in the Jewish community because you're too outspoken and you're too out there and you brought infertility up to the, you know, to the forefront. So um, not because I was afraid of shtuchim with my kids, but because we felt it was right to get the backing of a gadol, we decided that we're going to go to our palm from Torvadas, or from the Tzadik Labracha. Now, he was not very well, but once a month he gave a share in Torvadas. I got a tip that if we sit outside the share, that perhaps he would see us. So we sat outside the share. We found out when the next share was. We sat ourselves outside Torvadas. Also wow. crazy thing we did. Yeah. Me me, I said, you know, one second, if I'm going to meet Rav Ham, my Maishi, my oldest, will get a bracha. So, I'm, so I have this eight-month-old baby on my lap, really pathetic. The whole thing was really pathetic. And the whole Torvadas walked by us, and Rav Ham and his Tukavam walked by us also. And we were so young and dumb that we were almost relieved. And then the Gavam turned around and they said, would you like to speak to Rosh Shiva? And we said, yeah. And they said, right after the share. And like, I see this so clearly, it's almost 30 years ago, and I never forgot it. Rapam closed the door to the base madrash. We saw the whole Torah of Adas get up. And he said, no, I want to talk to them now. Wow. And he took us to his office. Like, he must have seen, a Gadol sees, a Tzaddik sees. And he took us into his office, and we were to, and I always think, like, what did he see? He saw three very young, very excited women. Oh, we want to make a difference. And he believed in us. It was amazing. And he never said, oh, you need to get a board of men or whatever we heard afterwards. He really believed in us. And he said, you see the desk that you're sitting by? Do you know how many chairs were shed at this desk because people did not have who to speak to? And he gave us a major bracha and he gave us a rub to work with. Um, we even have like a haskama letter from that rub. So he said, I'm not feeling well, not that well, but I'll, I'll, he'll check in with us. With, he'll check in with me. So we right. started with like the haskama of the gadol. Now you want the empty stroller cat. Um, oh, oh, yes. Oh, I need that. <laughs> okay, so everything was a fight. So putting in, but we saw walls come down. So putting, putting in the first ad in the paper was a fight. So everyone turned us down except for one Yiddish paper, Dear Yi. And even every smart magazine, magazines that are newspapers, that, that are progressive, they said, no, we don't do infertility. We're Jewish, um, we're a family magazine. So the Yi took the pay, took the ad. So I called the other girls and I said, the Yi took our ad. So they said, sure, Ronnie, because they don't know English. So they don't really know what infertility is. Oh but my goodness. I, I don't believe it because I believe that journalists are bright and I know it doesn't matter. They do or don't read English. They review their things. 
So I called their yid and I said, why did you take our ad? So they said, why not? And they gave me an answer that we used again and again. So they said, well, aren't you a, I gave them all the arguments I got. Well, why did you take a ride? He says, why not? I said, because it's about infertility. So he said, okay. I said, so aren't you a family newspaper? So they said, yeah. Aren't kids going to read it? So he said, yeah. Aren't you nervous they can ask questions? So he said, he said, it's such a brilliant answer. He said to me, I think his name was Mr. Friedman. He said, doesn't every Kita Aleph Yinkala learn that Sarah couldn't have any children. Why can't a mommy say, just like Sarah, she couldn't have any children? And we use that argument to get into every paper. Now infertility is spoken about, but then it was like very taboo. Very taboo. Then, and very taboo. Then we said, we would try it with the, then it was the frustration of covering, you know, treatment, even being evaluated. And a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of people are dealing with um, sometimes a medical thing that causes infertility, not often, but PCOS or different right. things that, that we wanted it to be seen as something that should be covered by insurance. So, um, so we thought of this idea, we teamed up with the American Fertility Association because at the very, very beginning, when we opened a time, we modeled ourselves after the AFA and resolve. Right. Like, well, you were going to be the JFA, so you might as well <laughs> model after the AFA. Be the JFA. That's <laughs> we're, very good. <laughs> we're very good friends with the AFA. So we, yeah, it's true. I never thought of that, but yeah, that must have been my drive. I still wanted to be the, J, to the JFA. Um, we are a time, you know. Yes. Um, it's, it's cute. My father, who was just sniffed a lot um, this year, used to tell me, I don't like the name. What does it mean? You have to be something that people know right away. But people, it became a recognized name anyway. People know a time. Um, so we thought of this idea with AFA. We, we, we bought empty strollers and we marched on Fifth Avenue with the empty strollers. I remember my mother, I'm saying my, we're a child of a Holocaust survivors. My mother was a child in Hungary. So I remember my mother yelling with us, two, four, six, eight, vivant, the mandate. My mother was great. <laughs> <laughs> so we went, we yelled on Fifth Avenue and we took turns speaking, something that would horrify our board today. Oh, and something, then, oh, oh. Oh, I can only imagine. And then, and then we got it. We got it. They did change the law. We recently changed the law again. It's a big fight. They're in New York. I moved to New Jersey. There's a lot of work here too. But in New Jersey, we always feel, I'd love to do it on a national level one day. I don't know if Biden is the right president, not the right president. But if anyone, if I get into, if there's any way we can change the law on a national level and allow people who are, are, are hoping to build a family you know, the right to get it through the medical, you know, the medical coverage, it would be amazing if we can go nationwide with it. That's my like dream. So um, one thing led to another and we, you know, we started out with like, you know, 10 member couples were up to like a few thousand. We're international at this point. Um, we do um, anything for infertility. Um, we've, we're famously known for supervision in the labs. Um, we do anything from a beautiful magazine to an amazing helpline. Our helpline is awesome. We have a helpline for fertility that's manned by quite a few people. We have a helpline for women's, general women's health. That came from Chava. We opened a division called Chava because people would call us and say, you know, I'm having a difficult pregnancy. I don't know who to call. I keep staining. I don't know who to call. Painful relations. We do a lot of different things that 
people under the Chava umbrella. So we decided to break up, you know, to make a division called Chava. Um, 18 years ago, we opened Hug, which is Hope, Understanding, and Guidance for Pregnancy Loss. And of course, very often things cross. You know, we have someone who comes from um, pregnancy loss who's trying to conceive, you know, but pregnancy right. loss is for everybody, you know, for the world. Um, and then we do great work with like, uh, just my own personal journey, um, remembering the frustration of teaching the rabbi about the medicine and teaching the doctor about the halacha. So my doctor at one point was like, I don't get your, don't, don't the Jewish rabbis want you to have children? So why can't they let you go to the mikvah earlier? So she even wrote a letter to the rabbi saying, dear rabbi, please let me help this beautiful couple so they can have a baby. Allow them to go to the mikvah earlier. So I said, doctor, I don't want to go to earlier. I don't want to conceive a baby that's not, you know, whatever it may be. So we, we do have um, the Institute of Avacha and Technology, which A, teaches Rabbanim from all different sectors, you know, anybody who'd like to learn um, about, the, about the medicine. And also the wonderful thing about the Institute of Allah and Technology is that, let's say um, right before COVID, COVID changed a lot of things. A Cleveland Clinic celebrated the birth of a baby from a uterine transplant. Wow. So we, uh, so we A, you know, this is, I have a group of girls um, there are a lot of, we do a lot of programs and services and some of the pro and I'm director of member services now. I'm the founder, but director of member services. One of the programs that I personally hold dear and I, I do myself are, um, single girls with no fertility issues, no uterus, no ovaries, post-cancer. I know the girls personally. I do events for them. I, I just, I find that's like my whole heart. So when Cleveland Clinic had that baby, we flew in the doctor, Dr. Falcone. We flew him into Manhattan. Um, our Diane was present. Um, we, we heard how we did the uterine transplant. It was pretty simplistic. Um, we were offered um, slots in the study, so it cost nothing. Um, and our Diane said it was okay. And our Diane said, this is something that's completely acceptable. It was, it was like, to me, it was like I was dreaming. It was unbelievable. Wow! It, it was, so you had you had a a, a Torah based, you know, scholar with a the now very world recognized physician and surgeon right. speaking right. to these women who, you know, what I, I can't say you know, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate. The, the reality is unfortunate, but the fact that they already know that they, that they cannot conceive on their own before they've even found a suitable partner, right. to have them sitting in the room with, and they are, they are women who believe that following Torah law is, is what's best for them. So to be able to hear from you know, both sides that there is hope and it is permissible is unbelievable. It was, it was truly unbelievable. I cried on the way home. I live in, I live in like, I live in Tom's River now. So it was a long drive home. Uh, because years ago, the only options that we had for them were like adoption. Um, sometimes surrogacy that's allowed by their rub halakhically. Right. Um, 
but this became a real option. Sitting in the room were single girls with no ovaries, no uterus, post-cancer, their parents, their mothers. Um, we also really very good at, because of who we are, we help them get married. You know, I've seen quite a few happy families. Wow. Uh, Baruch Hashem, I've seen the walls and adoption come down, the stigma of adoption. Now it's more like, Ronnie, where do we find these babies? That's my new passion. Not, not, oh, is adoption okay for me? Um, I've seen so many beautiful families, Baruch Hashem, with adopted children. Um, I always say that, and I'm working, this is also something I work extremely hard on because I feel that there's such a void still in adoption. Um, that I always say that challenge me. If you get me 150 Jewish babies today, I could place them in homes that are certified. Wow. We, we know the couples. Like, so we have like all these different stories where kids, you know, Jewish children were in non-Jewish foster homes. Um, we've gotten babies from Chabad Shlichem. So we reach out to them. Teens at risk. We reach out to them wherever we go, like wherever we can go to find those babies. There are some couples that, you know, with the guidance of the rub are not especially looking for, doesn't have to be a Jewish baby, but either one, um, we but really, some people prefer that. Yeah. And some yeah. people, it, it doesn't matter to them. Exactly. And exactly. Are, either way, also, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a personal, it's a personal thing. Or it's like the guidance of their rabbi, like whoever they're, you know, they're speaking to. Um, I believe that it, it also comes down a lot of, a lot of it comes down to a personal, um, decision. Um, also, what's amazing is that, like, the, even just the open forum, the discussion, uh, uh, someone recently in a time had got two little girls, she was fostering two little girls, and then she was, she adopted them. And she made this humongous party. And it was like an official adoption party. And the girls were dressed so beautifully, and everybody was celebrating with her. And to me, this was like, it was like, I, I, like these type of times when I want to pinch myself to see if it's real. Like, is this really happening? Baruch Hashem. Um, so, the, so the world is, the, the, the firm world is very, very accepting of the adopted children. They're so happy. And I look at adoption as a way to build a family. When everything else fails, you know, the, they don't have to live without a baby. Right. They, they could have a baby. And to me, that's why adoption is like, it's it's that light it's that that light that you know so this is this is a passion of ours now um it's not an easy journey for like wanting to have a baby and it not happening is so difficult it's so hard yeah i mean for myself um i've shared this in passing i don't even know on which platform at this point because i'm I'm doing so many things similar to you, Bronnie, but I don't think I'm, I'm changing the world as much as you. Hell of I one day. But, you know, I remember when I was 18, I was having some menstrual issues and I was in Eritrea and I called my parents being like, this is really a problem. Like I'm having all these symptoms. I'm having all these problems. Like I really need to see someone. So I went to a doctor and this doctor was not the right doctor for me, but um, he, you know, did his fair share of damage by, you know, telling me that I have PCOS, which was true, but that I will have a very hard time conceiving children um, or having them, um, you know, and put me on like non-regulated medication that made me, you know, really 
really not myself, you know, and being alone, you know, as a, as a baby, I'm saying I was 18 years old. Like, what did I know? Like in, in seminary on these, on this medication that made me, you know, nauseous function, you know, not even nauseous. I was, it was really messing with my emotions. So I would um, just have like anger breakdowns. That's my thing. Also PCOS. I, I have PCOS. And I called, I called a, a Rav that my family was very close to. And this was a Rav who was very well known for being the real deal Kabbalistic, Kabbalistic Rav. And, and I said, you know, I spoke to his wife first. I'm like, Rabbanit, I don't know what to do. I'm like speaking in broken Hebrew because there's so many words I didn't know how to say. You know, I can get through a normal conversation, but not when it's medical. I'm like, and it's making me, it's really making me not myself, whatever. And, and the Rav got on the phone, like took the phone and was like, get off this medicine now. Now He's like, he's like, you're going to be fine. He's like, you're going to have kids naturally. And he hung up and I called my parents and my parents were like, do you understand what kind of bracha you just got? Do you even know? And like, still, I, I was still, you know, I, I, I went on what I call like a rebscapade. I literally went to as many Rebunim, like from Pesach till the end of the year and, and Rebbesin Kanievsky. And I just went and like, I was, I was there like the year before so many Gedolim passed away. So I was able to get them and they were telling me, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Baruch Hashem, you know, I, I found out I was pregnant just before, just before, like the day I was supposed to start Clomid. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So for, for sort of with PCOS, you see that, that is exactly the type of story that, that, that I love. Like, because there's so many ways that we could have helped you. We do get, I speak to the single girls. So I can tell you that 50% of the single girls in seminary are not getting their periods only. PCOS or not. Right. Seminary is super stressful. As much as they talk about that year, they miss home. It's our stroll. Sometimes it's just there. I do the, find the hard water is making your hair fall out. You bet. And the, <laughs> and, the, and the nutrition level, like, please, you know, they're hanging out. I don't know what they're eating. Um, so very, I get this call, probably we get this call all the time that they haven't gotten their periods. Um, the girls that I work with never got their periods. Once a girl has gotten her period and it's like, and after that, it's like, whatever, we kind of, there's leeway for it to, you know, um, interesting that with myself, I, I did not know I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, my PCOS, but I was in Florida. I was married at that point, like three years. And I, I was waiting for my husband to come out of shul in a, in a, in a, in a hotel. And there was a magazine there, a health magazine. I opened it up and I see this thing. They named it called polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I'm like, I read the article and I, and my husband comes out of shul. I said, I know what I have. It's called, and I look at the paper, polycystic. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. When I call my, my doctor on Monday, I said, doctor, I just want to know, is what can, is my diagnosis polycystic ovarian syndrome? So he says, what do you want to know? This is, became such a normal thing. You know, PCOS is every other phone call that we get. Yeah. Um, so he said, what do you need to know? I said, because it's me. I want to know because I'm an advocate, because I'm a fighter. <laughs> I said, because I need to know. Like, I just think I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
So he says, let me tell you something. Even if you're so excited about having this, he was really not the nicest person, a good doctor. So excited about having it, it will not change the way I'm treating you. So now if I tell you that you do have polycystic ovarian syndrome, you can make a big party and tell all your girlfriends, you know, how, what you have. And I'm like, seriously, doctor? First of all, you know, that's something you probably would have shared then, but it wasn't even named. Now it's like, sometimes we get a call with, PCOS, where someone will call us also and say, I have cysts all over my ovaries. So that's like, you know, one second, they're so scared. They think they have some sort of like growth or something. Yeah. Or they will tell us they have PCOS and we're like, who diagnosed it? How was it diagnosed? So this is the type of thing that um, we, oh, like these are the type, this is what we address the whole day. So imagine you in seminary having a time. I know if you would have reached out to us, but your mother may have. I and might her, have myself. You might have yourself. We have honestly, but your mother may have the way your time is now. People, it's very approachable, and people may have called the harbor line and just said, "I just want to know I'm in seminary." We get that all the time, also. But we would never let you take that medication, you know, or we would try to do some research on it, like you right. know, we try to do some research and see what it is. Um, I can just tell you, if anyone who is listening that's struggling with PCOS, um, that or anyone who's struggling with fertility, because I'm just thinking now what I would tell a seminary girl, um, diet plays a major role. Now, I don't mean diet for losing weight. Uh, we're very, very big on protein and especially milk protein. Okay. Like, you know, proteins, like I love the whole milk yogurts and, and I don't have any of the blue or green milk, whole fat low fat. I only keep the red milk in my house because I think that fat is good for children and anyone through menopause, it's a fertility food. Milk, red milk is a fertility food if you don't have any, you know, issues with it. So me, yeah, I'm quite driven. But I, yeah. I, I you think there's a PCOS connection? You, you're saying you, you've been all over the place and I'm all over the place. Yeah. I <laughs> think that's another marker of PCOS somewhere. I, I, I can't begin to tell you how different um, PCOS looks in, in people that I've connected to. And, and I know that it is not necessary. It's not a marker that it's like, okay, you're definitely going to have fertility issues. Like it's not, it's not a given. Um, but it is, you know, depending on which doctor you go to, whether they scare the pants off of you, you know, or not, which they did with me. Um, and you know, otherwise my doctors were like, it's fine. Like, like join the rest of the world. Like, like this is very common. Like it's okay. But I think it just really depends on, I guess, a lot of different factors. And you, it comes back to, you know, what you said about God, Hashem, you know, being the one who determines all of these things. For sure. It, it, it's so, I see that again and again and again. Like, I really do. Can I share like an amazing story? Because it's Sarif, Garachal, and Leo. Like, not amazing. It's something we learn in the Torah. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, because I love the emojos and I follow them. Like I follow, I follow their journeys. So um, I think, of course, Rachel is amazing. And I even love the Rashi when she says, I'm naming my son Yosef uh, because now she can as Harbasi. And then Rashi says, now she can blame a broken dish on her, her child, right? So really, when I learned it as, when I learned it, you know, when I learned it in school, it, it, it just was that, 
you know, and then when right. I heard fertility and watched this journey with so many people, I'm like, seriously, who is, oh, who is blaming a broken dish on Rachel? Like, do you imagine Rachel Emanu as the beloved wife, right? She right. may not have been the mommy. And interesting also that Rachel's tefillos were always to be a mommy and Leah really wanted a husband to love her. Interesting. I always think that Leah is buried with her husband and Rachel, who is mama Rachel? Rachel is the mommy. Right. She's called by Rachel. So the tefillos were answered. But um, so Rav Chaim it says in the Rashi, like who's breaking, who on the break of the broken dish, he said, infertility is so painful sometimes that even a broken dish is too much to bear. He gives an, uh, an, an explanation on the Rashi. So wow. first, for anyone who's listening that's going through infertility, yes, it is very, very painful. We don't, they don't want your pity, but definitely your empathy, like definitely to know that it's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle that is documented to be painful. Yeah, and it hurts. Um, and then I just, I found it so interesting. This is something I really would credit to my husband for saying this, but at, he said at a re recent retreat, a Shabbaton we had, um, he said that Hagar looks at Sarah and she's very, Hagar is very pregnant. And Hagar says, hmm, I used to think she was a Tzadikis. It's worth learning it again. You know, we learn it again as, as, as an adult, as a man, you know, having gone through so many different things. So she says, I used to think that she's a Tzadikis. Look, well, I don't think so anymore. Look, I got pregnant. She didn't. Now, when my husband said this, I was like, <laughs> I was like, he watched everyone's face. It was pin drop quiet. And he said a line that is so profound that I think it, it really helps people understand when they're going through something difficult that we don't know the master plan. So he said, got really quiet. And he said, yeah. And that's how the mother of Ishmael speaks. Wow. You love it? I loved it so much because when, as geo president, <laughs> and, you're <getting> and, <laughs> and you're not getting pregnant, you feel like you're like, anyone who's pregnant is bigger than you, right? Like you almost feel like, I'm a failure. I mean me. I was just gonna say for myself. Like I feel I can't give my husband what she can give her husband. Like I can't give my mother the, the first granddaughter, your grandson. Like you feel like such a failure. And yet there's a master plan. And later you see they may have had a baby right away. And maybe, you know, sometimes you never get an answer. Sometimes we will never see what the master plan is. But there's a God that pulls the strings and there's reasons for everything. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to understand anything that might be good in this, but there is a master plan. And I can also say that from what I've seen of saying that only Hashem could do conception is that something that Rav Mati Sehu Solomon, he should be good then said, he said, Bore Rufuos, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Bore Rufuos. When we stop and we say he's Bore Rufuos. So our Hishtalos is whatever is whatever exists in medicine that's allowed halachically, which is tremendous. That for, for anyone listening that says, well, I'm davening, I'm davening. Well, if the doctor's telling you to do something, it might be your Hishtalos. It was right. the most, most, pow most powerful things that, that I've heard. Of course, with the guidance of a rug. Right. That's not but there's more, there's more than you think. Yeah. I think that, that that happens with a lot, with a lot of uh, different right. ideas and struggles is that we make assumptions that the answer is going to be X. And then so, when you ask so, someone knowledgeable in the field, you, you are very surprised. I, I can leave you with an amazing story. You wanted a story? Yeah. <laughs> just, 
or sorry. So, um, of course, you know, I, you know, I'll leave it the message to reach out to us, um, even family and friends who would like to be more sensitive and more caring, you know, to reach out to us. Um, know that they don't want your baby, but they, you're a painful reminder sometimes. You know, so so just know that, you know, you may be causing pain and that's why they're not coming to your simcha, not because they're not happy for you. It's because it's right now too painful. But just to leave you with an amazing story. So um, during COVID, our supervision team uh, was working incredible. Like, you know, even last night, it was a major storm in our supervision. I just, you know, give a shout out to them. I always say heroes work here. Um, we had such a storm and at one of our cycles did not happen yesterday and wow. just bring everyone today was a better day but we have mashkichos and hotels in so many places and our and our couples were bought with four-wheel drives and everybody everything happened and these are such time cycles right. if you miss today you know okay so someone calls for supervision and it's supposed to be sunday morning now they usually will know about when they need supervision supervision for what for their med for IVF. Okay. So we do, so we're in the labs. Okay. So Because a lot of this happens in the OR and the lab, we follow everything, we clamp and follow everything in many, many different states, but okay. like, um, so someone calls for supervision and, and she, and she, they tell her it's pro probably for Sunday's very time, but please confirm with us, Mate Shabbos. Um, or confirm with us Friday. If you know Friday, sometimes the doctor calls and says that they're ready for the next treatment cycle. And Masi Shabbos didn't get a call back. And she tries, the, super, the person who does supervision tries all the numbers and no one's picking up. Um, for, for Sunday morning, she remembers that when she had originally taken their number, she had taken a cell phone number, it was on her desk. She runs back to the ATEM office early in the morning by dawn and finds that number and she said and she calls this couple and they pick up and they said this girl is 37 she got married at 36 35 she's married two years um she says yeah well we were gonna go the cycle was going well and then we spoke to our neighborhood rub who said uh-uh you can't do it so they stopped the whole cycle mid-cycle they were Bali Chuva, very, very sincere, very honest. They said, why? There was uh, something, there was something that was questionable. So she said, you know what? You go to the IVF center. We're going to get three knowledgeable Rabbanim to do a basin to override this. You just get yourself to the center <laughs> because in three hours, there won't be anything to go for. Like things stayed alive for very, very short. Anyway, they over they made a based in and they overwrote that Sakalacha and Baruch Hashem she's expecting. Wow. Now, so knowing something, knowing first of all, caring enough, you know, but knowing having a, a rub who's familiar, a rabbi who's familiar, is such a big deal. Because things like you said would be no so much quicker. You know, and these were very, 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 very um, distinguished rabbanim that overrode this psaac and the rabbi that said no was really just ignorant he apologized afterwards he was amazed that something would be allowed but there was a trick you know they knew the they knew the fifth of shulchanara they knew a little bit more um and Baruch Hashem, she was matzliah so 
that's like one of one of these stories that tell you what may be going on in a time. It's not the typical. The typical is how a time. How can I help you? And the wow. PCOS. And I'm not getting pregnant. You know, I'm trying a year. I'm trying a couple of months, or I'm staining, 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 or whatever. Those are your typicals. Or I lost. I had a pregnancy loss. A lot of sadly, we get a lot of that. So if people want to hear more um, about you or about a time, uh, see more of you, you know, how can they find you? So um, our website is very nice, www.atime.org. Our main number is 718-686-8912. Um, as soon as you call that, you'll hear all our services and how to be connected to these services. Um, each one of our services has a prompt. Um, me, I'm very accessible with my email, Bronnie, B-R-A-N-Y, Bronnie at a time.org. If there's something that we don't do, I think we do a lot. We're always with, you know, if it's something that's needed, you know, we, we will jump in and do it. Um, so it's Bronnie at a time.org. And, uh, and the main, um, the helpline is the fertility helpline is 718-437-7110 or helpline at a time.org. Um, I imagine if you go to a time.org, you can, you can really access all of this. Like if you want to become a member and feel free to email me for anything. I would offer my phone number, but I'm not very good at, <laughs> <laughs> I get so many phone calls. I kind of ignore a lot of it, but my emails, I do read. So Bronnie at a time.org, um, administration at a time.org, admin, admin at a time.org. If, if you want to know about events that we do. Um, it's events at a time.org, but all of it is on our prompts and in our websites. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining us, sharing, you know, a bit of your story as well as how um, the organization that helps so many women uh, come to be. So thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So nice to meet you. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Woman of Valor podcast. Make sure to subscribe at thewvlife.com as well as on your favorite podcast listening app. Follow us on Instagram at Woman of Valor Podcast.